a great introduction to Indonesia, and I'm excited to have uh, the missionaries and pastors of ICA Surabaya with us today, John and Corey Taylor. And uh, John's just going to preach. I just said, go for it. you got 35 minutes. Have fun. And uh, we've been serving alongside what they're doing in Indonesia uh, for the last six years, about. We met them uh, when we were youth pastors and just grabbed a hold of their vision and passion to reach this massive country of islands and people and uh, that are unreached in Indonesia. They've been to open life when we were at the theater, right? You popped in when we were at the, the theater right after we started. And what a privilege to, to have them here with us and be able to share. Next Sunday night, in the middle of the night, uh, our family heads on a plane to pastor his church in Indonesia for a month. Going to go on a missions trip. Not that, that's the missions trip for our whole family. But as well, uh, I get to go on a missions trip in the missions trip and to a remote area in the middle of central Borneo, right? Yeah, Somewhere. Yeah. I don't really know where I'm going. But uh, I'll take my motion sickness C-bands yeah. and a little bit of suntan lotion. Good. And have some fun. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let John go. I just drink up whatever he's got to say. I want him to challenge us, our heart for missions, and uh, just our heart for the world. So. Okay. It's yours, man. Thanks, There's man. A, I put my phone right there. There's okay. a clock. If anybody calls right. it to be annoying, just ignore it. Okay. The clock should stay on. Okay, thanks. Right, well, it's great to be here. Um, you know, as Pastor Thad said, we've known <clears throat> Thad and, and <clears throat> his family for, I don't even remember how we actually met, but we've known, <laughs> we'll have to sit down and figure that one out. I don't remember where we actually met, but it's great to be here again. I remember uh, visiting you in the theater and uh, thinking, wow, I get to go to church and then watch a movie afterwards. This is the best place to have church, you know. Um, but it's great to be here. We've been in the country for uh, since July 1st, and we'll be going back to Indonesia uh, in the beginning of December. Well, my name is John, and my wife is Corey. Uh, I've got a five-year-old named Elia and a three-year-old named Alyssa. Uh, my background is I used to work for the railroad. Uh, so <laughs> that means that nobody in this room, I don't care what your career is, nobody's safe. My wife is a teacher by profession. That's her academic and professional background. And uh, here we are going to Indonesia. You know, a couple things about Indonesia. I live on this island of Indonesia. Indonesia is about as wide as the United States. It's all those islands south of the Philippines and north of Australia. I live on an island called Java. Uh, Java is like if you take all of the Americans west of the Mississippi, so Texas, California, the three people in Wyoming, you know, Washington State, everybody, and you put 140 million people, all those Americans west of the Mississippi, and you place them in eastern Washington. 140 million people in eastern Washington, that's Java. That's the island where I live. Now, I live in this city called Surabaya. And Surabaya tends to be an industrial city. It's known for a bunch of things that it shouldn't be known for. Um, <clears throat> but Surabaya is like, it's almost exactly the same size as Seattle, except you take the entire population of Washington State and stuff it into Seattle proper. That's the city where I live, six and a half million people. 
they are 95% Muslim. There are more Muslims in Indonesia than in any other country of the world. Uh, One-sixth of the world's Muslims uh, live in Indonesia. As a matter of fact, they just finished with Ramadan, uh, the holy month, and so they have all been traveling and visiting their family. Once a year, they go to their family and their villages where they came from and apologize and ask for forgiveness for the sins that they've committed against each other over the course of the last year. So, Salamat Idul Fitri, which is uh, congratulations, or uh, it's like the greeting, welcome. Um, so, you know, one of the things you might ask is, well, what do we do? Uh, I pastor a church. Uh, it's a church called International Christian Assembly. Uh, it's 95% Indonesian. Uh, we preach in two different languages. Um, it has seven services that meet in two different locations in Surabaya. Uh, so I pastor a church. So all the stuff that you guys do, we do that. Uh, in addition to that, our missions program is pretty vicious. We, um, we try to... One of the things we're trying to do is plant churches amongst unreached people groups. And so there's 200 unreached people groups in Indonesia. Uh, I'm focusing on one called the Banjar, and they live in South Borneo. It's four and a half million people uh, in the Banjar people group. They're 100% Muslims. There are no churches that have Banjar people in them. And so we have six church planters that we support and mentor uh, and we have placed them in South Borneo in six strategic cities amongst the Banjar people. So that's one of the things that we're doing. We're also, uh, we have an ambition to plant or to build 100 churches in Indonesia in 15 years. Last month in July, we began church number 27 and 28. And so for about $10,000, we can build a church anywhere in Indonesia that will sit 200 people for the next 60 years. And so we're trying to help the, the church there, the indigenous church, by providing buildings for them as well. In addition to that, we do a, a social justice ministry in the center of our city of Surabaya that meets right uh, next to uh, arguably one of the largest sex districts in all of Southeast Asia. Uh, it, is also, it also literally meets in the cemetery. Uh, it's called Kembang Kuning. And there we have an English reading center where we'll take the poorest of our city and we'll teach them English if they want to know. So there's an English reading center. We have a feeding program for children. We also have a youth development program where we take these guys off the street or from wherever they are. Uh, we can't really rip the ladies out of the brothels, but we can save their kids. And so that's where we're focusing on. Uh, and so, you know, we... We have this thing called youth development program where we teach them simple things like, when you talk to me, look me in the eye. When you speak, <laughs> lift up your voice, you know, use your voice and really speak. So, I mean, we have to start from that very simple level. We teach them job skills. Uh, this last year, we sent our first Kembang Kuning student to university. And so next year, we're hoping to send another one to university. Uh, but again, we were trying to prevent these children, these students, from ever ending up in the industry that a lot of their parents participate in. And so that's kind of the scope of what we do. Uh, we also go and we have access. Well, I'll talk about that later. Um, so essentially, that's what we're doing uh, there in Indonesia. But would you stand with me for a moment? Let's pray, and then we'll get right into the Word of God. Lord, I just thank you for the word of God this morning, and I thank you because the Holy Spirit, you speak in whatever language you need 
and you're completely fluent. Lord, I pray that in this church, God, that you and your word would be proclaimed clearly, not just today, but for the rest of this church's history. That God, the word of God, would be spoken and declared here. I pray for this church that, God, you would perform miracles. I pray that it would grow. I thank you for the staff that is here, and I pray you'd bless them. You're anointing we upon them. God, I pray for students that come here and children that come here, that, God, your name would be declared amongst them, and that, Lord, they would make your name famous in Bonnie Lake and the area surrounding. God, we ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So I want to look at the book of Jonah this morning. It's one of my favorites because uh, it's not so much about an imperfect missionary as it was about (laughs) the heart of God for lost people. And so I want to talk about that for a moment. Jonah grew up in a world where the people of Nineveh, if you're familiar with the story, um, he grew up in a world where the people of Nineveh would send armies into his country, into Jonah's country, to rob them of their crops and to rob them of their, you know, their way of living. They would kill their leadership. They were pretty much slaves that lived under the boot of these people in Nineveh at that time. And so Jonah grew up with this you know, kind of perspective in life. You know, I grew up in eastern Washington. My first job was picking rocks in an alfalfa farmer's field. I used to, give, I used to complain to my father and say it was child labor. But, um, you know, every year in the springtime before planting, you would have follow a tractor and all day long we'd be picking up the rocks and put it on the trailer and, you know, go dump off the side of the, the field. Well, you know, how you declared war on a country back in those days is oftentimes these armies would take 10,000 soldiers and they would line them up next to uh, your field. And how it worked was that for generation after generation after generation, your people would, your ancestors would be using, uh, they would be using, uh, every year they'd be throwing the rocks off their field so that they had good soil to, you know, farm with. Well, you know, the Ninevites would come and they'd march their soldiers next to your village farms and they would line up against all these, you know, at the edge of the fields where all the rocks were and they'd line up 10,000 guys and start throwing the rocks back onto your field. And this is how they, you know, kind of waged, you know, agricultural warfare. Or they would just simply go and kill all the leadership of your village. This is the world in which Jonah was raised. That was his perspective. And then imagine this. God speaks to Jonah with that experience and says, I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites. And we give him a hard time about, you know, not doing what God said. But Jonah had real reason to hate the Ninevites. The first lesson maybe we can look at from the book of Jonah is this. God's kingdom is fundamentally inclusive. God's kingdom is fundamentally inclusive. You know, back in Genesis chapter 12, we read when God appeared to Abraham, he said this to Abraham. He said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And one of the things I would say is that God's intent from the outset 
was that his people, you in whatever setting you find yourself in, or Abraham in whatever setting he found himself in, God's intent was, that covenant agreement was, that we as his people would be a blessing to wherever we were, in whatever time we lived. And I would say that you as a child of God, that is partly what you guys as a church do really well here in Bonnie Lake. I understand that you guys have been recognized quite significantly in your community for what you do for your community. Good job. When you participate in missions, you are participating in the very thing that God spoke to Abraham about when he said, and you will be a blessing to the nations. And so missions allows us to fulfill some of that covenant agreement between God and us. You know, interestingly, sometimes I get this question, well, what happens to the person deep in the jungles of Borneo who never has a chance to hear the gospel because there's no pastor, there's no church down the street, there's no Christian in the community, and there's no missionary to go there? Well, what happens? You know, one of the cool things about God is uh, we see this in the story of Abraham himself. Abraham was a pagan. There was no preacher. There was no missionary. There was no Christian down the street. They didn't even have Christians back then. But God showed up on his own and introduced himself to this pagan guy by the name of Abraham. And to this day, God still does this on occasion. We met this lady by the name of Sarah, Indonesian lady. And at one point on a Christmas day, she was watching the television and uh, there was this Christmas show, and she's watching it with her family, and she begins to make fun of Christians. Christians are stupid. I mean, you guys are uneducated. You know, who would worship an infant God? Why would God come as an infant? Are these Christians uneducated and ignorant? What's their problem? She goes to bed. That night, she has a vision. Jesus appears to her and has a conversation with her. She becomes a Christian. And then uh, we met her, you know, sometime after that. But the, the lesson is this. Sometimes God shows up on his own and introduces himself on his own. You know, essentially God says to Jonah, look, I want you to go preach repentance to Nineveh. I want to include them in my kingdom. God's kingdom is fundamentally inclusive. Number two, God's kingdom has room for people who cause you pain, even Muslims. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. Um, God's kingdom. You know, I want you to think for a moment in your head. Who are the three people right now in your life that are causing you problems? One. Two. Three. Okay. I just hope that you didn't yourself get, you know, put on somebody else's list, you know. (laughs) Because sometimes we're the problem, not just they are. All right, so, you know, what, is, what, is, what does Jonah do? He says, you know, look, God's kingdom has room for people who cause you pain, Jonah. You know, in Joel, we read this passage of Scripture, Joel and Acts and in Romans. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. It doesn't matter if it's the person that causes you problems. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, some guy in a distant country. It doesn't matter if it's me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, one of the things about God is he's indiscriminate in his mercy. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does Jonah do? He disobeys God. Classic sermon is when God speaks to you, obey. 
And God says, okay, look, if that's what you think of my calling, then here you go. You know, he causes the storm to come up. You know, these guys are at risk of losing their life. And uh, next thing you know, the sailors are asking the question, okay, who has offended the gods? Which is, you know, a common question even today. If something happens, you know, throughout the world, a lot of people, the majority of people are saying, okay, what did I do to offend the god of whatever, you know, context they're living in? And uh, it's interesting because these sailors are reluctant to throw Jonah overboard. You know, in some ways, they're showing more compassion for Jonah than Jonah is showing compassion for the Ninevites. And so Jonah gets thrown over eventually, and he's swallowed by a fish, and he spends three days at the University of Wales. And in the fish, Jonah comes to this place of repentance, and God hears his repentance, and then Jonah is vomited up onto the dry ground. And Jonah repents from his sin, and Jonah, get this, Jonah experiences the very grace of God. He's delivered out of the storm, he's delivered out of the fish, he experiences the mercy and the grace of God, and yet he doesn't want to share it with somebody else. You know, I grew up in an intensely patriotic family. Um, my family has many military connections. You know, all of my high school buddies went into the military. I was the one who didn't and wished he had. Uh, you know, at the university, I took military science classes. You know, my library is made up of books about how to get you killed and how to get you saved. You know, I'm a little bit weird. Um, I have a captain in my family, I have a colonel in my family, I have a ranger in my family. We've got all these military connections. And growing up in that, uh, you know, later on I became a youth pastor and a lot of my students went into the military or their spouses and some of them came back different and oftentimes they were fighting against Muslims. I remember uh, just, you know, just constantly in the news, I hear about radicalized Muslims bombing our marine barracks, our embassies, a Navy ship in the Middle East. You know, I saw firsthand what happened in Croatia and Bosnia when I went there one summer. Uh, I watched on 9-11 as, you know, these people were celebrating in the Middle East what was going on in New York. And I remember, like, you know, a lot of Americans, I was breathing vengeance, vile Vengeance, You know, I'm like, you know, just nuke the place, you know, turn that desert into a pile of glass, you know, build a Walmart, you know, and put up a Chevron station. Uh, but in 2002, at one point, the Lord brought me to this book of Jonah, and he finally had enough of me and pointed his finger at me and said, you know, you pride yourself in your patriotism, but you do not have my heart for the lost. You think that I am an American God? I am not. The world is my people. There is not a people group that I do not desperately love, and you do not have my heart for the lost. And I'm like, okay, you know, what do you do when God begins to speak to you that way? I think today for many Americans, Muslims are our modern-day Ninevites. All you got to do is, you know, ask someone, what do you think, you know, when you see that? <laughs> I was a lot like a modern-day Jonah. I had no love for Muslims, uh, but I had to come to a place of repentance. And then in 2004, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to the largest Muslim nation on the planet. Go figure. 
So Jonah repents. He's vomited up on a dry ground. And uh, Jonah chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So off Jonah goes to Nineveh. Verse, chapter 3, verse 3, it says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And the third thing I would say is that God uses a preacher to proclaim his kingdom. And I want to use preacher in the broadest sense of the term. You know, wherever you find yourself as a follower of Jesus, whether it be at work or at school or in your business, however it is, wherever you are, you as a follower of Jesus are fundamentally a preacher of his name. And what I like about the book of Jonah is it's an example of God's willingness to use imperfect preachers. You know, here we see Jonah, who is a racist, he's ethnocentric, he is bitter, he is angry, he is hateful, he is merciless, and yet God used him? You know, it gives me hope, you know. I'm like, if, you know, your pastor, Pastor Thad, he's a freak of nature. You know, I'm like, what, where did, I just learned today he can sing, you know. I'm just a freak, you know. But Pastor, you know, But it gives us hope for I don't care what career you find yourself in. I don't care what your problems are. If God can use this guy named Jonah, can he also use you? I don't think a lot of us in this room probably have the same problems. You know, at one point I got the chance to go to an Islamic school. Avery is here today. She was at this Islamic school. Uh, In Indonesia... uh, Islam came to Indonesia in the 12th century, and there were nine apostles that brought Islam to Indonesia. One of those guys is buried in East Java, just northeast, northwest of our city, and it's on the grounds of a large Islamic school. There are 8,000 students in this Islamic school, and we got the opportunity to go, and we teach English in this Islamic school, 8,000 students, kindergarten through university, and at one point, uh, the headmaster of this school, the leader of this school, is a direct line descendant of one of the first apostles. So he's a very, very, very significant man uh, in the world of Islam in Indonesia. We got a chance to go and and meet with him periodically. And at one night, I'm in their home, and I'm meeting with uh, the the second, the, the number one son. And we're having a conversation, and we're talking about Christianity, our beliefs and stuff, and religion. And uh, he goes, you know, I, I know what you fundamentally believe, but where did your church start? Where did the church come from? And so I take him to the book of Acts, and we start walking through the book of Acts, one, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. I get to the scripture. It talks about there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I'm just telling him, look, I'm not going to hide from you. This is why Christians do and believe what they do. God needs a preacher. It's not enough to just live your life as a Christian. You have to say something. And funny thing is, you might find this interesting. It's easier for you as a follower of Jesus to have a conversation with a Muslim than it is for you to have a conversation with the average person you're going to find in downtown Tacoma. You have more in common with a Muslim 
than you do with your own people as a Christian. It's funny. Jonah was angry at God because God showed mercy to Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw that they had done and what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I know that you are a merciful compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predict will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? You know, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites and he probably had good reasons to They were responsible for the suffering of his people, but notice the hypocrisy of Jonah. He just receives the mercy of God, and yet again, he's unwilling to share it with those around him, with those that God had called him to. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. The story story continues. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head and until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. So Jonah sits down outside the city and he's waiting to see what God is going to do. And Nineveh is kind of located in this desert area. It's hot, and God mercifully causes this plant to grow up and provide, you know, shade for him. It's like his ancient Near Eastern air conditioner, you know, and he's really happy about his new air conditioner. And uh, then God causes it to die, and Jonah is really ticked off about his air conditioner, you know, blowing a compressor. And so, but when we look at Jonah here, his response, we realize that Jonah is more concerned about his comfort and his safety than he is about lost people. And maybe my final note is this, that God is not as concerned about my comfort or my safety as he is about the lost. In the book of Jonah, we see very clearly the difference between the heart of man and the heart of God. The heart of man is very self-centered. The heart of God is completely and totally lost-centered. And look, I know what you're thinking in your head. You've got this thing. Well, but I need these things. You know, there's some things that you need in life. And you know, Jesus addressed that issue In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. You know, oftentimes we want to read it as, and all these things will be added to you as well. But God's saying, look, pursue my kingdom, pursue righteousness. I know you need that. I take care of that. But my heart is right here. 
verse 9. The book of Jonah, then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than... Now listen to this. This is the final verse in the book of Jonah. It is the last thing that he is being spoken. We end with the voice of God saying this to Jonah, and I think to us this morning. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God is passionate about the lost, even the people on your list of one, two, three, even for us as Americans, when we look at across you know, the world stage and see how that there's been a lot of conflict between our world and the Islamic world, God's voice is very clear, and he's saying to us as Americans and as me as an individual with the person that causes me the most pain, should I not also be concerned about the lost? I am not just your God. I will be God for them as well. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A friend of mine, I invited him to come and speak uh, at my uh, speak for me, and his name is uh, Somat. He's a Madaris. We have 200 unreached people groups. Uh, he comes from one of them, and that's the Madaris people group. And he is probably the closest thing to the Apostle Paul I've ever met. You know, he just has that evangelistic gift. I said, I want you to come speak. I want you to talk about reaching Muslims. He's like, okay. So he comes, and he preaches this sermon. To this day, I still do not know. I think there's a picture. That's him. I don't remember what he preached. But in the middle of his sermon, he stops. It's like he got frustrated with us or something. And he begins to scream at the top of his lungs, We have to do something! And he goes on and on and on and on for like 20 seconds. And I'm sitting, you know, in the pastoral chair. And I'm like, oh, Tommy, you know, gosh, that's the last time I'm going to invite him to come and speak, you know. And then the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of me. And God begins to speak to my heart and said, you better listen because he's sharing to you what my heart is. A couple months later, Thomas was more concerned about the lost than he was about his own safety and comfort, and he spent two years in an Indonesian jail for sharing Jesus with Muslims. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. So you might ask the question, well, you know, great. So what can I do? How can I participate? You know, in the video it talked about, there was one guy, a friend of mine. He said, what can be more fulfilling and rewarding than participating in the final command of the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel? What can be more fulfilling and rewarding than doing the final thing that Jesus told us as followers of Jesus to do. Go be a preacher in the broadest sense. Well, how can I do that? 
Well, you guys are doing a great job as it relates to your local community and amongst yourself. But you might be thinking, well, how can I do that in missions? Well, there's three things that I would say. You could pray, and this is what you do. When a missionary comes or you have someone who's doing something that's significant for the kingdom, oftentimes they have a little name card. I've got a business card. In the back, you'll find ours. Pick it up. When you pray for your meal, if you have the tradition of praying before your meal, pick it up, put a collection of it, get a collection of those things, pray for your pastors, put it in a bowl or something, and every time you pray for a meal, you say, God, I pray for Pastor Thad. God, I pray for our pastor. God, I pray for Pastor John in Indonesia. God, I pray for. And for us as parents, it's a great way for us to teach our children how to pray for things that are bigger than just, Lord, I want a new toy, you know. You can give. The reality is, is what we do costs money. (laughs) I give to missions beyond myself because I believe that there are some things that have eternal value in them. Missions is one of them. And you can go. One of the things I like challenging people, young people in particular, is this. Did you ask God the question, do you want me to be a missionary? I know you can be a missionary here or there or the other where, but I'm a foreign missionary, and I've got the mic. Did you ask God the question? And if he says yes or no, do it. But ask God the question and give him the opportunity. And look, you might be sitting here in a career with a house on the lake. Nobody's safe. But would you ask him the question? There's no better place to be than in the perfect will of God. It's an exciting life. If I had it life to do it over again... I would have become a follower of Jesus earlier, and I would become a missionary earlier. You know, I wouldn't have wasted the time. Would you pray about going? I've got a video for you to see as we close. I'm going to watch it, and then Pastor Flat is going to come. The first response on the back of your connection card is that you can pray. And those of you who know me know I could cry at probably like a Starbucks opening. Well, probably really a Starbucks opening. But I, uh, I preached it a few weeks ago, and I'm actually going to expand on it in the four talks I'll be doing in Indonesia. We're going to take a series there called Mindful. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, it said, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of the calling, and by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified you in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, for six years, our kids have covered all of what you see on video and prayer every single night we pray for them. And uh, a piece of us is there and like we're giddy about going. I mean, our kids are terrified, uh, but we're excited at the same time. And, uh, And able to see the fruit. Never underestimate prayer. And I love the Taylor's passion. I love when they send a note on Facebook or whatever. Hey, guys, pray specifically for this bridge outreach we're doing, and, and we can pray specifically. Or pray for our daughter. She fell off the bread and broke her collarbone, and we can pray specifically. And, and you, 
have the opportunity to do that. And you never know what the fruit of that is going to be six years later. I, you know, uh, think it's pretty amazing that the Lord has supplied every single penny we needed to be able to uh, go on this trip with our entire family. It's, it's heck expensive. And, uh, but yet, uh, there's some challenges on the back of your connection card today. You have the challenge there. You could pray. You can give. You know, we say this every week, and maybe you need to prepare your offering envelope now while I'm yapping. But every week we challenge you. We say, we say you know, 10% of everything you give goes back to missions, locally and globally. So the more we give, the more missionaries like the Taylors we can pick up. We plan to send a pastor and a team every year to Indonesia. So 2014 is awaiting you. On the right-hand side of your response, on the back of your connection card, that final box, that final check box is probably making somebody's fingers burn with a pen you're holding right now. You just need to check it and just say, I want more info on what it would be like to go to Indonesia in 2014. We'll figure out when, but the cheapest tickets we can get is to take a group of over 10 and buy those tickets 331 days in advance. So I'm just praying that the Lord would stir in us to develop this partnership even farther as a church and to be able to be a part of seeing the rest of these churches started there by 2025. The Sunday I come back, we're calling it Vision Sunday in September the 20th or something like that. Not the 20th, because that'd be in the middle of the week. But anyway, somewhere around there, uh, we'll be putting that online here. But one of the visions that we'll share is to, to take an annual trek to support church multiplication globally. We want to multiply locally, but we want to multiply globally. And there's no better passionate people who want to do something than the Taylors. And I'm pumped to be a part of what they're doing. You've already been a part of what they're doing, so thank you. Um, maybe today you've felt the stir to give generously above and beyond what you normally do. You can always write something in the other column of your offering envelope. If you want a gift to go directly to them, don't hesitate. Feel free to cut that check. We'll always pass it right, right across to them. And uh, we just believe in supporting those we love and the work of God. And don't underestimate the power of that prayer card he talked about on that table back there. You should have one for each one of your kids that they could put in their room. And you should have one for yourself. And uh, when you come across that, put it in a place you'll see it every day. Coffee pot, French press, wherever. And uh, uh, make sure that you, you lift them up because they could easily be the ones in that being told the story about that they love the gospel so much that they spent a couple of years in, in prison, and uh, that would be no fun. We don't want you to do that. I certainly don't want to do that in the next month while I'm there. But uh, if so, so be it. God didn't call us to be safe. He called us to be faithful. So uh, 
I want to pray for your offering today, and I just want to pray that God would seal the deal of what he's stirred in you, and uh, then we're going to pass the buckets as soon as I say amen, ushers. So, Lord, thank you for this day. Man, it's dear to my heart. I get all sappy and snotty and stuff because we love this family, and we love the mission, and we love what they're doing, and uh, I just thank you for the impact we've been able to already make as a church, but now, like, we're going to be able to just step this this partnership with them up like crazy. I pray right here in our midst, you would just take away the spirit of distraction from hearts and even speak to some clearly right now that they should go. Stir somebody. Call them. And we're going to be faithful to equip them and send them. Like, that's just part of what we do. We walk through the doors that are open, and here's one, big one. I pray as well for the generosity of our church. I just thank you for the giving. and We just go insane with projects, and you're so faithful to provide. And we give you praise for it. We thank you that we're able to do so much. In Jesus' name, amen.